Hey, it's Deep Focus. I'm your host, Mitch Goldman. This is part two of three parts from when Philip Johnston joined me in the studio on April 3rd of Monday night, 2017, for a program about Steve Lacey. Got some great music for you and brilliant insight. Obviously, if Philip's talking about some gigs that are coming up, they were several years ago, so don't go looking for them. But you should go looking for your COVID vaccine. What? What's he talking about? Uh, you know, I got vaccinated and I was, aside from the enormous relief of hopefully not being vulnerable to this terrible, terrible disease, I was so pleased to see my city, my country organized, people waiting patiently, medical care getting handed out with precision and consideration and uh, putting this, hopefully putting this terrible disease behind us all. I'm saying this because to my astonishment, there are people who are resisting getting this treatment. It is not just going to help you keep from getting tragically, horrifically ill. I don't have to recount the stories about people who've made the bad choice or didn't have the opportunity to make the choice that you have. I hope you have. But you can protect all of us. You can get, We can get to the point where all of us can throw these masks away. We can't do that unless we all step up and take some civic responsibility. I said it. That's what I want you to do. Go and get yourself vaccinated. And uh, then we're all going to go out and meet at the club and listen to some live music together. How great is that going to be? I know there are people who don't have the opportunity to make this choice. I have enormous sympathy for you. And I guess I could say I'm not really speaking to you right here, right now. I'm talking to the people who have uh, decided for themselves not to get this vaccine, even though it's hurting me and everybody else, and yourself. Okay, I've said enough. It's Philip Johnston on Deep Focus on Steve Lacey. April 2017, here's part two.
Thank you very much. That was um, Epistrophe, Monk's Dream, Mysterioso, and Evidence. <laughs> and now this is a composition of Mal Waldron to terminate the first set. It's called Six for Monk.
You're at the BIM house. We say BIM house. I think they say BIM house. Uh, either way, you're in Amsterdam. It's February 27th, 2000. That is Steve Lacey and musical partners. Uh, Steve Lacey playing soprano saxophone, Enrico Rava, trumpet and flugelhorn, Roswell Rudd playing the trombone, Mal Waldron on piano, Reggie Workman on the bass, Andrew Cyril on the drums, and uh, it's a program of compositions of Thelonious Monks that they called Roundabout Monk, although we haven't heard Round Midnight yet, and he didn't even call it Roundabout Midnight, but go figure. Uh, we I call the. Sh- they played Round Midnight on this afternoon. Did they? Oh, yeah, I think maybe they did. Not sure. Well, this uh, Roundabout Monk actually is a good title because they're kind of playing Roundabout Monk. That's true. <laughs> Not necessarily. They didn't call it directly at Monk. Mm, or right on top of Monk. <laughs> no, it's, no. But it's Roundabout Monk. Exact center of Monk. <laughs> it's, uh, and yes, it is deep focus. And you know what that means. These are live, unreleased recordings. And our guest in the studio shining a bright light on this music is Philip Johnston. He's here in town briefly playing Barbez in Brooklyn tomorrow night, playing the Falcon in Marlboro, New York on Thursday. And uh, we've got him here in the studios, WKCR right now. I'm Mitch Goldman. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know what? One thing, I'm, I, everybody's everybody's pulling their weight on this bandstand tonight. Mm, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I am, you know, you're mentioning people coming at this from different angles. Uh, I don't think Andrew Cyril's um, primary reputation is as a monk interpreter, but man, he, I'm loving his solos. He's like playing mm. the melody in mm. his solos in a really cool way. Lots of color and the rhythm and the feel and pulse and direction of the compositions, which I know. I read Robin Kelly's book. I know that was very mm. important for Monk. And uh, he's he's got it. He's oh, just he's very strong. Yeah, yeah. And driving the band and all the different directions these guys are pursuing. Everybody, uh, they they're playing. Mm. They're playing. They're making music. Mm. That's what it's all about. Mm. And it's a beautiful thing. It is a lovely thing. It doesn't always happen. <laughs> Something always happens when talented people get on stage, but uh, there's just a, uh, a joy and embracing of spirits here, I'm feeling, among the guys on stage and the audience and Thelonious. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of light and warmth hmm. being shared. Yeah, I think, uh, well, all of these people are... are uh pretty good team players because you look back at their history individually and they've all been parts of very widely varying but really interesting and creative ensembles throughout their career. If you look at the groups, the important groups that they've been featured in, it's like a who's who of modern jazz. Yeah, very true. <clears throat> very true. And you, Philip, had, a, did you have a personal relationship, encounters, uh, sharing music, sharing ideas with Steve Lacey? Well, Lacey was uh, a very generous person to uh, people who of the younger generation. And I was uh, 
a big fan, and we're talking about being a fan here, I'm like the ultimate fanboy. So the people that I admire, I admire a lot, and I follow closely. And um, I went to see him whenever I could, when he'd come to New York from some of his earliest uh, solo concerts um, that he played uh, in New York. And then eventually, when I had my group uh, Big Trouble, I started uh, recording some of his tunes. And not too many other people were recording Lacey music then without Lacey. Uh, so, of course, I, I sent him my records. I did two records for Black Saint, and I sent them to him. And he wrote me back uh, very nice notes about them, and we kind of established a correspondence uh, my biggest thrill was after I sent him my second record, where I think I recorded his tune Bone and also Hemline. Uh, he wrote me back and said he was using it the record for his workout music. <laughs> I thought, oh, it doesn't get any better than this. This is great. <clears throat> we also had an extensive uh, discussion about... Um, Quitting smoking, mm, yeah, and uh, he said he had disco- he did eventually quit smoking, and he discovered a, a, a fantastic magic cure. And I said, you know, well, what is it? This would be a very useful thing to know about it. And he said, whenever you want a cigarette, chew on a pencil. Oh, <laughs> I said, chew on a pencil. That's it. That's the whole thing. So I think some of his ideas were better than other yeah. ideas. <laughs> I guess it worked a, for him. Yeah. Uh, it never there was, worked it, it, for didn't me. didn't crack a smile, huh? Didn't, you didn't mm. get a... There was no no irony or humor yeah. well, in him was, saying that. It, uh, it was all through the mail. So. Oh, okay. All right. <clears throat> Fair enough. Um, but uh, anyway, he was very complimentary of my interpretations of his music and... Uh, sent me his book and uh, encouraged my uh, performing of his music. And uh, I had proposed this plan to do a whole record of Lacey music to Black Saint, which they had approved. Unfortunately, as is the story of so much of my career, my timing was exactly wrong. And at the point where um, Bonandrini, um, the father Bonandrini was... Giovanni? Yeah, yeah was relinquishing the running, day-to-day running of the label. Well, my timing wasn't right, and it never happened, but it's something that I'd still like to do someday. Yeah. But uh, he was very modest, very uh, funny, um, very humorous and kind of ironic guy, and uh, quite inscrutable. I Mm. I would guess... You know, I knew him quite casually, and he was real nice to me, but um, I would guess that he was maybe a hard guy to get to know a little mm-hmm. on a deeper level. He was a little sphinx-like, mm-hmm. I think. I could see that. I could see that. It's, uh, yeah, I, I just met him a couple of times. I didn't know him even as well as you did. Mm. But that is, it's great that you had that opportunity because some of the objects of your fascination were not around yeah. for you to have that <clears throat> experience. I'll tell you one other story about Steve Please. Lacey. This is in the realm of trivia. I'm totally. asking. I'm asking. <clears throat> one year at the uh, 
it wasn't called the the Newport Jazz Festival anymore. It was called uh, can't remember some corporation JVC? jazz fe- JVC. Very good. Lucky guess. JVC Jazz Festival. We played at Lincoln Center, <clears throat> and uh, Lacey played with his band, and. We played with the Microscopic Septet, I think right before him or right after him. And it just happened that Lacey's mother and my mother were there at the same concert. And we introduced the mothers and they hung out. So I can say that Lacey's mother and my mother were mothers. (laughs) Anyway. He's here all week, folks, <laughs> but he'll be playing music and not just telling jokes at Barbez tomorrow night in Brooklyn at the Falcon with a microscopic septet on Thursday in Marlboro, New York. I might tell a few jokes. A couple few. A couple few. I don't know if they're going to be stingers like that one, <laughs> but... Stinkers, did you say? <laughs> we are in Amsterdam at the BIM I'm going to say the BIM house. At the BIM. That's what we call it, the BIM. Um, yeah, this is, a, this is a great night. February 27th of 2000, uh, the Quint- Sextet. It's interesting ensemble, and a near-microscopic ensemble. Three mm. horns and a three-piece rhythm section. Mm. Um, not quite the same. But um, Steve Lacey, Enrico Rava, and Roswell Rudd up front. And rhythm section. What a rhythm section, man. Mal Waldron, Reggie Workman, Andrew Sorrell. Mm. They're, they're doing it. They are doing it. And uh, that was the first set. Going into the second set. I think there's maybe one more tune to this set. There's one more tune on uh, this. You know, it's funny. One of the things this set reminds me of um, is <clears throat> whenever I'm interviewed about my own personal musical tastes and evolution. I always talk about how the first music that I got into was very early jazz and very avant-garde jazz. So I had early Duke Ellington and Fletcher Henderson and Cy Oliver, and then I had Four Alto and uh, the Art Ensemble of Chicago, the early records. And then later I kind of filled in the middle, little by little, in my musical education. Well, this is certainly an example of that because... The music here is so free, and at times it feels a lot like early jazz. Uh, Lacey, for all his greatness as a composer, was never really that interested in orchestration and arrangements. Most of his records follow pretty much the same format. Play the head, bunch of solos, play the head, and uh, the organization is pretty loose. But it's got that kind of wonderful New Orleans looseness that comes from his and Roswell roots and Enrico Rava certainly sounds very much at home in a kind of Dixieland and I I guess very much toward the end of his career he even had that band with Dave Douglas and uh, Roswell Rudd they called it Monksyland where they did uh, Dixieland versions of monk tunes Um, so it just once again you see the closeness of those two streams flowing together. I think the more you listen to Thelonious Monk, too, the more you hear Stride and mm. the oh, early absolutely. jazz in there. Stride and gospel and, uh, yeah, a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Well, Ragtime. Well, we, we, we stepped in it tonight, I think. We're, we're flowing, man. We're going to go back to the bandstand. I think there is one more track 
the way this is organized and mm. the CDs we're playing from, but mm. I think this next one might be the first piece in the second set. Is it? Okay. Well, it's in the same folder with yes. the other well, ones. Well, um, um, I might be interpreting. Let's uh-huh. see if we uh, if we still feel that way, if we give it another uh, another spin here. So, yeah, we're going back to, uh, back to the BIM house. It's WKCR. The show's called Deep Focus. I'm Mitch Goldman. Philip Johnston is my guest tonight. And Steve Lacey is the subject of Deep Focus.
WKCR FM, New York.
They love you in Amsterdam. Oh, man. You know it. You know it when it's a great night. You know it. It's, uh, it's a great night. We're at the BIM House. It's February 27th, the year 2000. Steve Lacey is leading a band he's calling Roundabout Monk. And uh, that is a subject of our deep focus tonight. And the object of our deep focus is no. Bad, wrong. Subject, object, <laughs> subject. conjunction, <laughs> the, maybe. Yes, that's it. Philip Johnston in the studios back from points southwest. And Adverbial clause, <laughs> maybe. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
what do we got? What's doing? Um, you mean where do we go from here? No, where have we been? Where have we been? Uh, talking about this record. This, Help me out a little yeah, bit. Yeah, what, yeah, yeah. What, what are you thinking? What uh, I want to uh, hear your thoughts about the music we've been hearing. Well, let's see. We heard um, just now the most recent tune was, of course, Straight No Chaser, one of the most often played. And um, <clears throat> Is it a requirement to play that when one is engaging the monk catalog? You know, I have to say honestly, and this is, you know, a deep and dark uh, confession. I've played all the monk tunes, and I've played... I've recorded Skippy, and we I've played 4-in-1, the things that people consider to be impossibly hard. Um, I have never been able to play Straight No Chaser correctly. What? For some reason, I have a mental block against it. I just can't do it. <laughs> Somehow, I never learned it at the beginning, and I always do it wrong. So oh, really? it may be a requirement, but uh, it's a requirement. I, it's probably the only monk tune that I... I mean, if I sit in front of the sheet music and play yeah. it, I can play it. But I don't, I've never really... Is it not as straightforward as it sounds? No, it's not. Oh, it's it's quite a weird tune. And even though it's in the real book and it's part of the literature, as a tune, it is it is quite... I mean, for example, Blue Monk is a tune that's very commonly played and is a pretty simple tune. You can say, oh, conceptually it's got such and such happening but as far as structurally it with the pickup it, it falls on the beats of the bars and everything but um, straight no chaser totally turns the time around it does uh, what Monk does in a few of his tunes um, the tune played twice is another one where he takes a phrase and then he situates it uh, in different places on the bar basically it's kind of like um Polymeter. He's superimposing one meter over another in a way that just turns your head around. So you have to pay really close attention. If you drop your attention for a second, you get lost in where the one is. So it's actually um, quite uh, a difficult tune, which probably every jazz student in jazz college in the world can play better than I can. No, Somehow a- when you get off the beat, I have the same thing with... Um, uh, what is it called? The Tarantella. When I was a kid, I learned it backwards, and I've never been able to turn it around as long as I've lived. You get these things stuck in your head. You remember that scene in uh, Godfather 2? Mm. Uh, Johnny Pentangeli's trying to get the band to play the Tarantella, and mm. they play... Anyway. Sidebar question. Do you take secret delight in hearing people play monk songs wrong of course not why would i possibly do that uh i don't know i don't really hear that very often but uh i mean the thing about monk's music is there's the tunes which are melodies with chord changes and then there's monk's music and i think uh Monk's music, his tunes got absorbed into the mainstream. Again, a small handful of them. And, you know, nothing against mainstream jazz. It's great. But um, it somehow it doesn't capture the essential weirdness of Monk, the just individuality and 
just complete cussedness and <laughs> uh, irascibility and irresponsibility and puzzling craziness of it. And that has never really been absorbed. Mm. So you can play it, you know, as like any other jazz tune that's in the real book or a bebop tune. But to really get the whole monk weirdness. Um, you know who, who really got it, I think? What was that band? I'm not going to be able to... Th it's a guitar player from San Francisco, from the Bay Area, and he had a band where he played... It was oh, called yeah. T.S. Monk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, he played... Yeah, T.J. T.J. Kirk. Yeah. It was called T.J. Kirk, yeah, yeah, T.S. Yeah. Monk. That's something else. <laughs> T.J. Kirk. Yeah. And he played the music of James Brown, Ross on Roland Kirk, and Thelonious Monk. To me, that got Monk. Mm. But a lot of other things, they've got the tunes, but they don't have the... Yeah, 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 yeah. The gestalt of it. Mm. But that's not to put that down. It's just another thing. Well, good response to an obnoxious question. <laughs> <laughs> Duly noted. Philip Johnston, he's here in town. He's playing Barbez in Brooklyn tomorrow night. He will be with the Microscopic Septet at the Falcon in Marlboro, New York on Thursday. You can go hear him. It'll be great. It'll, It'll be, be fun. It will be fun. You're going to be so happy you went. And I got him here tonight in the studios at WKCR. We are listening to this fantastic live set of Thelonious Monk's music played by Steve Lacey and, uh, and, and compatriots uh, Enrico Rava, Roswell Rudd, Mal Waldron, Reggie Workman, Andrew Sorrell. That's, that's, that's some heavy hitters. You mm -hmm. don't like baseball analogies, so I won't say it. I don't mind... Uh... The analogies, I just don't know anything about baseball. I won't, I won't burden you with the... It goes uh, right over my head like a pop fly. <laughs> oh, see? See? <laughs> that works. So uh, we heard Straight No Chaser, and uh, I was asking you to peer into, uh, share your thoughts, your, your listening uh, experience of what we all just heard. Well, we heard Straight No Chaser. Before that, we heard a tune that I couldn't recognize. I'm sure it's not a Monk tune. I feel pretty strongly that it's a Steve Lacey tune. I mean, it's just got his harmony and motivic structure written all over it. Uh, but I can't, I can't identify uh, it. The tune before we heard was um, Bemsha Swing. Um, and that's another, we were talking... We, you know, it's so interesting how these individual monk pieces, these compositions, have taken on individual lives of their own mm. and, you know, been recorded numerous times over the years. And it's almost a conversation echoing back and forth through the years among mm. the various people mm. who've attempted them or conquered them or not. Yes. And that is one of the ones that many have dived into over the years yes and it's uh, it, like a lot of monk tunes it's a deceptively simple one it's not a blues but it's a 16 bar tune that takes a phrase that goes a a b a but for only 16 not 32 bars and the b is up a fourth that's it it's a, a melody but the chord changes are completely unexpected from uh what you would expect from the melody. The melody is diatonic, but the chord changes are much more chromatic. I mean, much like the tune Thelonious, which is only one note for the A and has this constant cycle of uh, 
moving dominant seventh chords going against it, the juxtaposition of the two. It's sort of like um, what Jobim did with uh, some of his samba music, or bossa nova music, rather, uh, where he has a very simple melody but changes the chords with it. Um, but uh, it makes it into just something kind of unique, the angularity of those chords against this very simple melody. I think that's what it makes it appealing. The, the melody is like a child's sing-song kind of melody. I love the way, I mean, just the way these pieces fit together. And pieces, I mean, the contributions each of these musicians are making. Mm. Roswell Rudd, I, he, I, all of them, Roswell in particular, the couple of places in there where I just heard these you know, rhythmic and harmonic things that he's just slapping on kind of sounds for his own amusement. But, of course, we all share in it. Yeah. And but you know who, I mean, again, I'm just being so blown away by the bass and drums here. Yes. I mean, Reggie Workman, who you associate with so many, you know, Coltrane and yeah. so many more Blue Note records and, yeah. serious kind of things. And he's totally throwing himself into the playfulness of this band. I didn't know he could be that playful, and he's just doing wonderful stuff, you know, that kind of reminds you of Jean-Jacques Avenel and some of the other lacy bass players uh, that had this kind of, you know, goofiness and, and willingness to go with Roswell and people like that. And Andrew, Andrew Cyril is right there with them, too. Yes. So there just seems to be a tremendous generosity in uh, in being willing to come to where essentially Lacey and Roswell Rudd are. How, as a band leader, I think we all know the answer to this, but I want to hear you tell us how important is that for you when you're leading a band? Oh, you know, a, a, a band of outsiders, a band of kindred spirits. I mean, you've got to have... Uh, You've got to trust each other. I think that's the thing, and you feel like these people really trust each other. I mean, I think the thing that's kept the Microscopic Septet together all these years is that it's a bunch of people with similarly off-the-wall sensibilities um, and that you know feel trusted and feel comfortable among each other. And you can feel the same thing of this band, that even though... It doesn't have a big history, because I don't think it was a long time working ensemble. This combination is utterly unfamiliar to me, that uh, they're all just going, hmm, I'd like to go play in that room for a while. And everybody just, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, we're, feels, we're it feels like something that's very comfortable. What do we got? What's coming up in this set? Remember, uh, uh, let me see. You uh, did such a good job of... Uh, Scoping it all out. Yeah, I did, didn't I? You did. And uh, let's did see, you? the next <laughs> tune after this, I mean, a lot of these are really like, again, the dyed-in-the-wool standards. The next tune we're going to hear is um, uh, In Walked Bud, ah. which, again, is a tune that's kind of a very straight-ahead bebop tune. Uh, John Hendricks wrote um, lyrics for it for one of those Columbia and then we got into something. records. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and uh, but it, it's a great, great minor key, blowing tune. And there's, I guess, I guess Monk must have been thinking about 
but Pen Powell, Powell is, of course, is yes. Sorry, I didn't state the no, obvious. No, it's but, definitely written for uh, Bud Powell, the other, you know, high priest of bebop, who Monk was very, very close to. And there, and, there's uh, something very uh, loving comes through in the yeah, in the song. Uh, absolutely. And then after that, the next tune we're going to hear is. Round Midnight, ah. the one we were waiting for yes. from the title of it. Roundabout Midnight, as it's sometimes called. By Miles Davis. Mm. All right. We're going back to Amsterdam. Let's get in the WKCR helicopter. Come on, everybody. Uh, we're at the BIM house. It's February 27th, the year 2000. Steve Lacey leading his ensemble, Roundabout Monk, the title. He gives it. And... Uh, it's Deep Focus. Philip Johnston's our guest in the studio on WKCR. off each other oh man people don't talk about that one enough they love talking about billy holiday and lester young they love talking about miles davis and john coltrane or burden diz i'm putting them in there roswell rudd's trombone steve lacy's soprano saxophone well you know because you're two-thirds of the way through this deep focus from april of 2017 go check out part three and while you're at it, uh, go check out how many, I've got 130, 140 some episodes of Deep Focus. You can take them with you. You can share them. You can email them to your friends. You could trade them. You could cover the wall with them. Um, you can play them for your pet tarantula. You can find us on your favorite podcasting app, or Deep Focus, or our hosting site is mitchgoldman.podbean.com. You know that. All right. I want to hear from you, too. On Instagram, you can uh, find this program at Deep Focus Podcast, and you can find lots of people who like the uh, music that you like. All right. Go check out part three of Philip Johnston on Steve Lacey. April 3rd, 2017. 